Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm on behalf of my family. Thank you so much for your prayers for us um, while we've been sick uh, for uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, I especially want to give a thanks to Pastors Nathan Curry and Pastor John Dunning uh, for leading worship in my absence, um, and I'm grateful for the ministry of those men. They, they've personally been a blessing to me, and I know they were a blessing to you. But it is good to be back this morning, and today we are going to begin a new sermon series. Um, over the course of the next five or six weeks, um, we're going to be taking a biblical look or a biblical approach to the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. These five alone statements, they represent theological correctives that the Reformers sought to bring back to the church. In their view, these truths were so important that many gave up their own lives to assure that people like you and I could receive God's truth from God's word and not be bound by the fallible teaching of the church of their day. It's appropriate that we begin this series in the month of October. Of course, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. To that end, we find our start this morning by looking at the first one of these statements, sola scriptura. And we'll see in a moment Paul's understanding and appreciation for this idea of the importance of Scripture by a letter, actually the second letter he wrote to one of his uh, students or, or fellow ministers he was mentoring, Timothy. And the belief we're going to be talking about here is that God has provided in his word all that is needed for faith and for holy living or faith and practice. In his word alone, we meet with God and receive our instruction as the church as well as individual believers. With that in mind, I want us to see this from God's word. So would you turn with me this morning to our text? I'll be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us go to him now in prayer and ask his blessing upon it. Dear Heavenly Father, as we are reminded again this morning of the topic of sola scriptura, or the importance of salvation by scripture alone, I pray that we would meet with you as that theological truth proclaims, that we would find you here in this text, that we would hear the very voice of God this morning as we read the scriptures. 
That we would believe the truths found within this word. That we would live it out in our lives. That it would transform how we interact with one another and the dying world. Lord, there is power in your word. There is power that can be found because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we cling to that this morning. We ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would come over us. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. Awaken us to the truth found in this text and in others. That we might not only hear this word, but believe it. Father, this can only be done if you make it so. And so we pray this morning, make it so, O Lord. We ask all of these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most important roles of the apostles was to build up the church and to grow the next generation, Um, the believers and particularly the leaders, the ones whom would carry on the tradition, the ones who would stay as they went on, the ones who would minister in their absence. These leaders were to be the ones that would minister day after day after day. And one of Paul's young ministers, one he cared about deeply, was Timothy. We know that Timothy joined Paul on um, some of his missionary journeys, if not a great portion of them. He was the liaison to the Thessalonian church and had an impact on many others, eventually ending up in Ephesus. We know that his name appears. He is a co-writer to at least 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. And so not only did he witness Paul's teaching and walk alongside Paul, he also learned from him and benefited from that, as did the churches. Here we have 2 Timothy Um, The second letter written by Paul to Timothy toward the end of his life, it's one of the last books that Paul wrote. And so these are some of the final teachings we have from the apostle. He writes it to Timothy, showing his care and love for this young minister. And he also writes with importance, as these would likely be some of the last words ever recorded from him. And so what was so important? What had to be said in these final pages? What had to be understood? What did the church and this minister need to know? Well, it was the topic of the importance of Scripture. This was a corrective, of course, um, during the time of the Reformation against wrong understandings or wrong teachings of where authority comes from and who we are to listen to. And we recognize God as the ultimate authority in our life. And what better place to go than his anointed and inspired word. So Paul writes to Timothy on three topics or three areas in our text today. Biblical truth, biblical authority, and biblical purpose. Each of these are seen throughout our text and also correlate with points that we would affirm when we affirm by Scripture alone. Because of this, I want us to consider this morning each of these and think about how they relate to our understanding of the Bible. 
First, I want us to see this morning the importance of biblical truth. We're going to find that in verses 14 and 15. Secondly, we're going to be looking at biblical purpose. We'll also find that in verse 15. And then finally, we're going to lean in on biblical authority across the whole or totality of our life. And we'll find that in 16 and 17. So let's take a moment this morning and walk through each of these, thinking about the importance of Scripture and what it teaches us for today. If you were with us in um, Sunday school, um, we are also looking at this series, and so we're really doubling down on these truths. Um, In the Sunday school hour, we're looking more at a historical approach uh, to these different Um, statements or beliefs where in the pulpit we will be looking at them from a biblical perspective because we do think these are biblical truths and we also verify that they are vital for how we understand God's word and live it out in our lives. We would affirm when we say that we believe in sola scriptura, that the Bible is the ultimate authority on faith and practice or faith and Christian living. And we see that second one there, Christian living um, or practice, in our first two verses. Paul says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy was blessed with Bible-believing family members that instructed him in the ways of the Lord and modeled it before him in his life. If you look back to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, you find out that Timothy had been modeled, or Timothy was modeled, um, that faith and practice was modeled to Timothy, there we go, by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. These two godly Women, these, these two pillars of faith in his life not only believed God's word, but lived it out and demonstrated it before him in such a way that Paul simply says, Timothy, what these ladies taught you, that's what I need you to do. They have been such a godly example in your life and such a faithful witness to you. Just live that out. That's what I need from you right now, Timothy. And as we think about that, we, we really see the importance of God's word from two angles. First, from the angle of parenting, and then also from the angle of uh, the children or being raised in it. So let's, let's split our path a little bit here. First, let's think about the importance of God's word or scripture in our lives as it relates to parenting. We could go to places like Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We could go to the Shema. For many of the Jewish people, the the core of the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy 6 being a vital part of their understanding of the Scriptures, rightly so. it, It clearly outlines the gospel in my opinion. But we also read these words. Hear, O Israel... The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Very clear, very strong statement. 
love God, trust his word, apply it to your life. And then they continue. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This word, these instructions, this truth, it not only is vital for your life, it is essential for your children's sake. It must be taught. It must be talked about. It must be lived out. And then I love, he makes a final turn here too. And also, strangers need to know it. You need to put it on your house. You need to put it on your post. You need to put it on your gates. It needs to be as if it's tattooed to your hands. It needs to be as if you've laser engraved it on your eyes. Everywhere you go, when you awake, when you sleep, when you walk, when you sit, this must be vital to your very life as if you could not live without it because you can't. There is a strong biblical emphasis on the training up our children after the ways of the Lord. I would make the case that the Bible says it is necessary for you to rightly train your children to do so under the tenets of God's word. There's no other book that I could give you and say, follow this 100% for the raising and upbringing of your children. Look, I love men like Paul Tripp. I commend everything he's ever written to you. I blindly buy any of his books. I got one in the mail yesterday. Not read it. I don't know anything about it other than it says lead on the front page. Fantastic writer. Fantastic counselor, especially on um, children and child raising. Anything he writes, I wholeheartedly commend it to you. But I can't promise you everything he says is going to be right. I can't do it. I can't make that statement, and he's my number one resource for child raising. I go to him every time when I don't go here. <laughs> every time I can come into you God's word. I can look at it. I can hand it to you. We can read it. We can study it, and I can tell you this will be good for you and for your children, for your strangers, your neighbors, your friends. Any other book written by a man, we're going to have to go, hmm, let's think about that. God's word is the ultimate authority and I mean, where else would you want to go? I knit you together, stitch by stitch, while you were yet in your mother's womb. I can count the hairs upon your head. Why would you not want to go to the manufacturer for a discussion on working out the tool that you're dealing with? Where else would you go than the one who made it? I would say that there's no better place to go than the one who fashioned your children, than to God and to God's word. God knows us intimately. This is the God who gave us his word and he called us to teach it. The Bible prepares us for raising children. And please don't feel left out. Maybe you're with us this morning and you're single or um, you're not able to have children or your children aren't around anymore. Um, Anytime we have a baptism, if you're a member of this church, You've raised your hand promising that you will help raise our children. I love that. I, I love that confession by you as a church. I hold you to that. My child doesn't turn out. It's your fault too um, because you promised to help me. And what a blessing. We're, we're all called to be about the raising and upbringing of our children in a godly 
environment in a godly way. And how do we do that? By clinging desperately to his word. So sola scriptura, by scripture alone, we're saying there's nowhere else, there's no higher authority, there's nowhere that we could go better than this right here. And it goes the other direction. Children, and all of us here have parents, or at one time we're blessed with parents, or have people that raised us or watch over us. But particularly those of you that are here today and you, you are still living at home, you're, you're still under your parents, listen, please. Learn to love, cherish, and trust this book with all of your heart. Because it is the ultimate authority for faith and practice. When John Piper was given his first Bible by his father, his father's a very godly man, he wrote an inscription on it, and he said, Satan will keep you from this book, or God will keep you from Satan. It is vital. Little ones, and for all of us, it is vital. We cannot, cannot go here enough. The authority of God's word means if this is true, and this is accurate, and this is God himself speaking to us, we must again and again and again and again find ourselves here as parents and as children, which is, that covers all of us, by the way. The Bible loves doing that. That statement's that it's got us all. Um, that's where we go. So we see the Bible speaking into how we live our lives. And for Timothy, it, it was a blessing. He said, Timothy, you've just got to do what you've seen. You've got to live the way you've been taught. You've got to act the way that your mother and your grandmother showed you because what they showed you was God's word. Where they practiced it was in your life because of God's word. And so he first and foremost drives us to the scriptures. But the scriptures speak more to just how we ought to practice. Scripture also speaks to faith. We said that this is the ultimate authority for faith and for practice. So let's look at that first pillar. Let's look at how the scriptures speak to and of salvation. Look with me at verse 15. Paul gives his rationale. He, he speaks very plainly here. I tell you these things. I give you this scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what separates the Bible from other books. This was what was at the heart of the Reformation and the declaration of by Scripture alone. God's Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the only place we can become wise unto salvation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells the church, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Truth here is referring to the word of God. He's telling them they were specifically chosen for salvation so that others might come and see it through them. That they might too be saved as they see them live out their lives of faith. But they wouldn't be saved simply by looking at those people. They would be saved by also coming in contact with God's word. I was told once, as I was beginning my path of ministry, all you've got to remember, Aaron, 
is you are simply a beggar like everyone else. The only difference is you know where to get the bread. All you got to do is take them. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to produce it. Take them to the bread. God's word. That's my role as your minister is to take you to the place you can be fed. And that's here in the scriptures. God chose them to be saved through sanctification and belief in truth. Through the hearing of the gospel. So that they would obtain glory in Jesus Christ. You know, the reality is, you will not follow someone you do not know, or at least you shouldn't. I really hope you don't make a practice of following complete strangers. Um, if, if, if you do, let's talk. Um, but Paul says very clearly, when he's speaking to this point, Romans 10, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching. For it is said, how beautiful are the feet of those that proclaim the good news. What is the most important thing we can do for our neighbors, our coworkers, our enemies? What is the most important thing we can do for our families? What is the most important thing we can do for all of these people? We can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We can bring them here. Why? Because this book and only this book is able to make one wise unto salvation. For someone to go into death to life, they must be confronted with the Word of God. You know, in the time of the Reformation, that had become scarce. Sermons were memorized often in Latin. And if you didn't know Latin, well, you were out of luck. Even worse, a lot of the priests didn't know it either. And so no one understood a lot of times what was happening in the service. It couldn't be translated. It couldn't be received. And this, there was this de-emphasis that took place on the word of God and an elevation of the word of the priest. I can't think of something more damning than that. That's why it's vital to get God's word in the hands of God's people. It's why men like William Tyndale, we celebrate this week, this past week, he died after translating the Bible into English. He famously told a Catholic clergyman, if God spare my life, Ere many years from now, I will cause the boy who drives the plow to understand God's word more than you do. Think about that. It was true, and it didn't take much. It just took putting it in their language, getting it in their hands in a way they could read it. And then what happened? You became a biblically literate community more so than the clergy who were tasked with your faith and belief and leading you to the throne of grace. The reformers understood that this was what was at stake. The greatest tool we have is God's word. Paul states to Timothy that this book is the only place to go to become wise into salvation. And so we must promote it at all costs. It must be our chief aim. It, it must be what drives us to get this, to get this truth in the hands of as many people as possible and let the Holy Spirit do the work. And it gets better from there. It gets so, so much better from there. Um, in our final section, we're going to see that it not only teaches us about faith, it not only affects part of our life, the parts that are um, parenting and child raising, it actually speaks to everything, absolutely everything. Uh, look with me at verses 16 to 17 to see how this is so. And 
if you ever do a study on the topic of the Reformation, um, particularly looking at the solas, if you look up sola scriptura or by scripture alone, every single time, I should say almost every single time, I can't promise that, you go, you're going to find 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 listed as a proof text. It comes up again and again and again and again. When we talk about sola scriptura, we must talk about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Why? There's several reasons. First, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Some other translations, I know the NASB translates that inspired by God. I prefer breathed out. It's, it's closer to what the Greek says. And that, that word picture tells us what's going on here. These are God's words as if he spoke them to you himself. His very breath poured out upon you. When you read them, you're reading from God. I saw a, a, I don't know if it was a, a joke or a, um, a critique lately. Um, someone asked, you know, how can I hear the word of the Lord today? Um, and, and the person responded, read your Bible. And um, they said, well, how can I hear the Lord today out loud? And they said, read your Bible out loud. Um, this is God speaking to us from his word. If you want to talk with God if you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know where he comes from on certain topics, if you want to understand who we are and, and how we fit into this crazy world and everything that's going on right here, I can't take you anywhere else. I do not trust anything more than I do this right here. So we, we start with understanding all scripture. And, and for Timothy, that would be um, a title that referred to the entirety of the Old Testament. We're going to see in others of Paul's letters, he's going to bring in his own writing. He's going to bring in uh, the writing of the other um, New Testament authors um, to the point that when we speak of Scripture, we're going to be speaking of the entirety, all 66 books as collected um, for us. But all Scripture is breathed out by God, and then what? It's profitable. It's profitable, it's good, it's beneficial, it's a positive transaction for you in these areas. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These are the benefits of reading and studying the scriptures. These benefits come because it is the word of God and it is the ultimate authority. You get those things because we affirm God's authority and God's supremacy. This is why the reformers fought so hard to get the Bible in the hands of people. There was a debate in the Reformation, in the time of the Reformation, that if you got the Bible in the hands of the people, they might read it wrongly. There really was. There was a fear by the Catholic Church, well, if we give everybody a Bible, they might misread it. <laughs> okay, that may be true. In fact, for some people it was. But the reformers said, I would rather have people reading God's word themselves wrongly than relying upon you teaching it rightly. They were more willing to get this in the people's hands because they knew the power of the Holy Spirit and they knew the power of God himself was greater than their ability to misread and misinterpret. And it speaks into each of these areas of our lives it teaches. We learn truth about God, about our history, 
about salvation, about redemption, about sin. It teaches us ultimately how we can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It teaches. It's profitable in that regard. It's profitable for reproof and correction. Since it's accurate, since the standard never changes, when something happens in your life and you ask yourself, well, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? You just weigh it here. And if you weigh it here, if the scales are thus so, and you don't match this, well, guess what? This is not changing. This is not wrong. You must be. So we must correct. We must reorient Repent of our sin, turn of our way, and turn back to God. The beauty of having a fixed point is that you never have to worry about its accuracy. Oh, if I I had the time to talk to you, my father's a surveyor, and he taught me from a young age. We uh, used compasses a lot. Um, The compass does not point to true north. The compass points to magnetic north, uh, and and the poles are shifting um, within so many years that it's not even really going to be that accurate. It doesn't help us. If we have a system of telling our direction that doesn't accurately tell us our direction, what good is it? What good is it to have a scale that doesn't always give you the exact measurement? It's not really that great. It doesn't really help But to know that God's word will always stand and will always be there as an accurate representation of who he is and who we are. We can go to it again and again and again. And here we are over 2,000, over 4,000 years later from the earliest text. um, Still assessing and still reading it the way that they would have heard it themselves. Without change. Having the same discussions. We're really, in, in looking at the Reformation, you know, just over 500 years ago, having the same discussions that they had, which are the same discussions Paul was having with Timothy. God's word is beneficial in reproving us and correcting us when we err. And one of the reasons the church kept it away from the people was that if the people didn't have the word of God, the church could do whatever it wanted without correction. The church didn't have that balance. The church didn't have the opportunity to have people look at it and go, that isn't what the Bible says. It it gave them free reign to really set practices however they wanted because how are you going to challenge me? You can't read it. I can't either, but that's beside the point. And that's really what was going on. God's word is also beneficial in training for righteousness that the man of God may be complete Another way to to state that or or to translate that is that the man of God may be perfect. God has given us his word so we can become more like him. Christian means Christ-like. We're called to holy lives. Therefore, be holy for the Lord thy God is holy. Live the model that God lays out. Hate sin like God hates sin. Love one another as Christ loved one another. Submit yourself to the commands of God, seeking to rid sin out of your life. These are the things that the Bible teaches us, and these are the things that the Bible equips us to do. Access to God's Word. Time and prayer over God's Word. Discussion of the Bible and of biblical topics. That's how we grow, brothers and sisters. That's how we grow together. And we better are equipped to do these things, to live out our lives. 
And that's what he says in his final point. The Bible equips you for every good work. We're allowed to perform good works in this way when we study and apply God's word to our lives. It takes away our selfish desires and ambitions. It helps us to forgive our spouses when they wrong us or we wrong them. It allows us to work alongside our siblings without complaining. It prepares us to be complete and fully equipped for the world ahead. God knew you and I were going to need every bit of help we could get in this life. He sent us his spirit. His spirit awakens the scriptures. When we read God's word, the, the spirit helps us, works alongside us, prays on our behalf that we might not only see the words on the page, but they might come alive to us. That's why each week I pray that for us. Because if the Spirit is not in us, no matter what I say up here, it will have no effect unless the Spirit moves. But God promises us His Spirit. God promises us in His Word to awaken our hearts and to transform our lives. And so don't you see, brothers and sisters, why this was so important? Why it was so important to get the Bible in the hands of the people why it was so important to affirm that God's authority is supreme, and that there's nowhere higher that we can go or we can look. Paul believed this to be true, and he encouraged young Timothy to hold to these truths so that he would conduct a faithful ministry and walk closely to God in his own life. This topic lays out the foundation for the other solas. If we can't trust God's word, then we're without hope. Paul says our very lives are without hope. Now, this does not mean we completely throw away what happens at church and church creeds and tradition and history. Those things are beneficial and they're good for us and they're given by God as well. We just have to be very careful that nothing goes above this. That this takes the supreme place in our lives and in our practices and our statements and our beliefs. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. I have sworn an oath to uphold it. And if I ever, my beliefs ever um, fail to align with it, I'm to notify my session and resign. I've taken that promise in faith, um, and I believe that. However, I will tell you, if we find something in that confession that is not in line with God's word, we will change it. We will change it, because it doesn't sit here. It sits here. What we believe and what we practice ultimately comes from God's word. Now, if I could give you a point of application in closing, if I could encourage you one way, families, brothers and sisters, young and old alike, cling to this book. Cling to this book. Make it your passion, your greatest aim, your greatest desire, your greatest source of joy to be in God's word, to be about God's word, to study God's word, to talk about God's word, to think about God's word, to live out God's word. And by the way, side benefit, it will improve your marriage. It will improve your relationship with others. It will improve your finances. Everything that you worry about, that I stress over, that, that I wonder, will God help me out of this situation, will be made right by applying the truths of this book to it. Now, will that fix it? Maybe, maybe not. But what it'll do is it'll change our mindset to align with God's. And that's where he will be glorified and it will work out to your good. And there's no other place that I would want to be nor would I want it for you. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to affirm our need for your word, to affirm that there is no higher authority that we can go to, that when we meet with your word, we meet with you. And, O oh Lord, I pray that we would make it our aim each and every day to meet with you, that we would speak of it when we get up and when we lie down, when we walk by the way. Might it be as frontlets to our eyes and as if is as if it was marked upon our hands. Might we put it on our doorpost that everyone that we come in contact with, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and even those whom hate us and despise us, might they, might they be confronted by your word because it is truth. It speaks into our lives. It gives us the plan of salvation and it prepares us for the days ahead. Lord, do this in our life. We ask and we pray in Christ's name, amen.